Hello and welcome to This Ripe Fruit. My name is Phoebus and this podcast series aims to look at what it means to be sexual by exploring the experiences and insights of people who either directly work in the sex industry or whose work is closely linked to sex. I'm a psychotherapist and currently carrying out a doctorate on the meaning of sexuality. And my aim in this series is to create an open and non-judgmental space where we can all listen and learn from people who deal with sex and the sexual professionally. My guest today is Rebecca Lowry, who works with men to explore and expand their potential for intimacy. She uses an intuitive combination of bodywork, neo-tantra, conscious kink and sex magic. In this episode, we explored how she worked sexually with her clients, how she understood and defined sex, and what rituals she used in her own life to connect with her sexuality. But first, I started asking her if she could say a bit more about the terms neo-tantra, conscious kink, and sex magic. Um, I find language around all of this a bit tricky. Those are the words that I've landed on to try to explain what I do. Um, Neo-tantra, for me, is a softer way of saying tantra because um, there's a lot of talk in the tantra community about what is tantra really, and people are saying this is tantra and that's not. So for me, neo-tantra is is tantra, but it's my version of tantra. Mm. My training in tantra was um, that tantra is a spiritual path to enlightenment, and it encompasses and embraces sexuality instead of excluding it, which a lot of spiritual paths do. Um, Really, it's about a journey into yourself. It's about learning to own all of who you are, the good, the bad, the the ugly. Um, There's something about uniting binaries in there, but actually in doing so, you discover there are no binaries really. Um, And for me, the way that I understand it, teach it, live it, is that it's very much a personal journey. You know, you can do it with others, and it's helpful to have other mirrors and um, you know, feedback from other people, but it is an internal journey, and it's for anyone. The world recently has seen Tantra as very white, hetero, cisgendered thing. You know, it used to be when you go to Tantra workshops, you'd only kind of see the white, cis, hetero people there, and that didn't sit well for me. And I was lucky enough to come across Barbara Corellis, who... Um, back in that time was one of the only people I knew that was holding a space for anyone to come and do Tantra together. I, I cried in the first workshop I did with her. I was like, oh yes, this makes sense to me. Because true Tantra is about the inner unity. It's about what's happening inside. So for me, Tantra is a way to live your life in harmony with everything and everyone around you, including yourself. And, and isn't there like a paradox there about Tantra, at least in the West, being white, cisgendered, when Tantra comes from India? Right. That's another reason I use the word neo-tantra, because back when I was learning tantra, I hadn't quite heard the words cultural appropriation. I, I knew a little bit about it. Obviously, I've become more educated in that, and I, I wouldn't dare claim to do tantra. I'm a white woman from America who lives in England, you know, and mostly works with cisgender males. And so um, I just want to be careful about how I language that. It's a tricky one, because... The word tantra is very much a buzzword right now. It's a good way to advertise and have clients come in because that's what they look for. And it's not entirely accurate. And so so I've started using the word neo-tantra to just slightly distance myself from tantra. I I went for years without even claiming to have anything to do with tantra at all. But, um, 
people would still find me and say, oh, you do Tantra, don't you? And I was like, well, kind of, you know, my version of it, yes. Yeah. And conscious kink? Conscious kink. So again, I, it, putting conscious before the word kink was um, a bit controversial because surely anything we do is con- has a consciousness to it because we're doing it. Um, for me, it's about being very aware of how we explore kink. So for example, when I was first learning um, BDSM and kinky things, I went to a club with my partner and we came across a man who he had a beer in one hand and was chatting to someone, but he, in the other hand, in a direction he wasn't looking, he was flogging someone. And it was the most horrific thing I ever saw, not because he was flogging her, that could be, of course, hot and sexy. It was that he wasn't paying attention to what he was doing at all. He wasn't with her, he's with whoever he was chatting with over the beer. And it really put me off for a while. So for me, the conscious is pay attention to what you're doing. Use it for healing, use it for pleasure, use it for exploring, use it for self-awareness, but use it consciously. And and so in that scenario, could it be possible that the woman getting flogged by the man who wasn't paying attention to her was getting off also on the fact that he wasn't paying attention to her? Possibly, sure. But there's for me, there's a lot of stuff around that, around safety and, you know... And the other thing too, and I mean, listen, that was a few years ago, and it didn't feel right to me then. And even thinking about it now, I just thought he, he didn't feel like he was ignoring her consciously. You can explore conscious ignoring, I know it's a terrible term, or uh, like a friend of mine says, consensual non-consent, for example. But that didn't look like what was happening. Okay. It looked like she was having an experience and he wasn't really paying attention. Wow. Maybe I was wrong. Mm. Maybe I was wrong. Mm. And in, in terms of sex magic, finally, this term, it feels quite mystical. Yeah, it is. So sex magic, I think the term means a lot of th- different things to different people. For me, it's about consciously cultivating sexual energy, arousal, desire, pleasure, and using that energy to create the world you want to live in. How long have you been involved with this work? Actively for about 13 years. Yeah, I... I first kind of entered into learning about Tantra, as it was known then, um, about 15 or 16 years ago, doing my own exploration of it as a student. And um, very quickly, one of my teachers said, you know all this, you just don't know what you know, let's wake it up in you. And so about a year later, she started sending me clients. So it's been about 13 years that I've been professionally doing Mm. this work. And what is it about this work that appeals to you? I think there's two things. One is... I get to be fully who I really am. It requires me to do so, in fact. And so I can't hide. I can't play small. I can't um, hide the sexual part of me. That's a really big part of who I am. It always has been. And in fact, that's what led me to explore tantra in the first place was that I was using my sexuality in ways that were was sometimes really pleasurable and amazing and other times was really awful you know and a bit um self-harming and so I it was like someone had given a immature child a Lamborghini and said you go drive safely and I was not driving it safely so I got to tantra I learned how to to enjoy that which is really me in a way that was safe to me and others and now I get to share that in my work. And you, you use the word safety a lot. What mm. do you mean here about safely or not safely? I mean it across pretty much all realms of possibility. So emotional safety, you know, like in, a, in my work, how am I holding someone and their emotions? Because emotions come up all the time. You know, a big part of a tantra is allowing yourself to feel all the things that you haven't allowed yourself to feel and, and how to feel it and what to do with those energies. Because 
you know, energy flow, emotional flow, financial flow, sexual flow, it's all coming through the same system, which is you, your body and your energy system. And so anywhere that you're pinching that off needs to be, that sounds a bit judgmental, it would benefit you to open and allow some flow. In terms of my emotional, mental, physical state, you know, I wasn't really thinking about what I was doing. It was like I was on primal drive, allowing that, that sexual drive to make my decisions instead of engaging the rest of me. You know, what does my heart want? What feels good to me? And not just right now in this moment to get off, but like what's gonna feel good over time? You know, how is it making me feel about myself? How's it making others feel? And so there's, a, like, there's an emotional, mental safety, there's a physical safety, there's a spiritual safety. You know, if, in times where I would um, have made, let's say, kindly, a, a poor choice around sexuality or something, I wouldn't feel too good about myself the next day. And so for me, turning that around creates like a safe playground that as wide as I allow it to be, where I can now bring my full sexuality because I know what those edges are and that creates safety. It's like you need a container in order to be safe. Otherwise, you just spill out everywhere. Implicit in what you're saying is that often the ways in which we get off can, someti- can sometimes be safe and can sometimes be unsafe. Is there something about getting off which you don't necessarily think is useful or helpful or to kind of follow through with that? I'm going to be a bit paradoxical here. Mm. I think that life and sex are messy. I think they're inherently dangerous and wonderful and amazing. And that if we lived our life or approached sex with fear, we're missing out. That said, you can put things in place so that it becomes a, um, a paradise to explore in. Like, you know, if we're always afraid of life, we're not going to get out of bed because you could hit, get hit by a bus as soon as you leave. There's an inherent risk in leaving the house, <laughs> you know, and there's an inherent risk in sex. And both life and sex are messy. And I think the more comfortable you get with that, the safer it becomes intrinsically in a way. So, so it's almost like philosophically, if you view this as, if you view sex and your sexuality as an opportunity, just by changing that attitude makes it somehow safer. I think so. I, th- I guess we come back to my use of the word conscious, which um, is being aware of how this is serving you. That's it. Is it serving you or isn't it? So back in my past, some of my sexual choices served me because they made me feel good in a sustainable way. Not just in the moment, but sustainably. Not that there's anything wrong with just the moment either, but if that's going to have kickback that is going to make you feel bad later, if you're going to have some sort of shame hangover, then it's not sustainably making you feel good. But then is the problem that moment or is the problem the shame that comes afterwards? I think the problem... And I hesitate to use that word because I think we're all conditioned. So the situation is the more you know yourself, the better decisions you're going to make for yourself. And so if you know that you can go and have that one-off moment and it's going to feed you, nourish you, make you feel good, and there's not going to be any kickback later, or that you can deal with the kickback, great, go for it. If you know that that one-off moment's a bit self-harmy or you're going to feel bad about it and, you know, stew on it for days or beat yourself up for days you can make a different choice how would you then view um somebody who gets off on either pain or shame or guilt or 
that that is that is somehow maybe not something they consciously want, but if one were to observe their sexuality, they would often be in a position where they trigger or they want situations which trigger these emotions in them. For my place in the world of sexuality, I think it's complicated. It's not something that I know a lot about. So I know that I have friends who are practitioners who um, get asked by clients to humiliate them, say. I've been asked to humiliate people. I, I don't do it because I don't really understand it as a sexual get-off thing. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I think it does. What I do think, and maybe I'm wrong, and I'm open to that, is that you can only humiliate someone if they feel shame about something. And I don't want to reinforce shame. Maybe someone else does, but that's not what I want to do. So I want to clear shame and give people more freedom and more choice. And I haven't yet seen how working with shame and the other things that you said helps someone. So, so if a client asks you for you to humiliate them, how would you work with that? I would say, I would say no. I mean, I would usually, I've not, that I can remember had anyone asked me that right in a session. Usually it's before. And I would just say that's not something that I'm familiar with or comfortable with. Let me refer you on to someone else. And I wouldn't even shame them in the asking because I think it's okay to ask for, but I would, from from my perspective, ask, well, what is it that you're really looking for? You know, do you do you want do you just get off on it, which is great, and you feel okay and you go about your life and you have a, a life that works for you? Or are you using it as abuse? Are you using it to relive something that happened to you? Are you, you know, I'm not, I won't do that. I don't want to do that. I think there's ways to use that for healing, but it's not something that I um, am good at or know anything about, really. So what, what kind of clients do you usually work with? Mm, wonderful clients. I would say the majority of my clients are men, mostly um, cisgendered men, and um, I get a bit of a range. I would say that the majority of them are, I have what I talk about, like my bread and butter, the things I see the most of. The things I see the most of are um, guys with um, erection issues. They want to get or maintain better erections. They want to last longer in bed. They want to build confidence. Um, and one of my favorites is guys with little to no experience or little to no recent experience where for whatever reason, the way their life has gone, they haven't yet dipped their toes in, they haven't explored, they've been afraid. And I can take them on that journey, which is self-awareness and self-development and sexual exploration as well. So when you say sexual exploration, can you be more explicit if somebody were listening to you and thinking, okay, I'd be interested in something like this, what would that what entail? That yeah, what does that entail? Yeah. It's interesting. This morning, somebody put something on Facebook that said, uh, and he was trying to be incendiary. He said, do men like, do men want sex more than women? And my question to him is define sex. So in terms of my sessions, I would, I ask because people say, oh, do you have sex with your clients? And I say, well, what do you mean by sex? So if you're asking about penis and vagina stuff, I don't do that with my clients because I found that that gives us a wider arena to explore. And if a lot of clients come back and say, even though I thought I wanted you to do that, I felt safer, there's that word again, um, and freer to explore other things. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. That just feels right for me. If that ever changed, I would change. But that's what feels right for me right now. Um, so, so there's no penetration in the vagina in your work? With their penis. With their penis. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Um, mm. So... What other boundaries are in place? So 
my the way I work is um, very intuitive. And I sit with someone and we talk to see where are they in that moment, whatever their issue is, and then what do we need to do to get them where they want to be. And so sometimes I'm using things like energy work and meditation and breath work and things. And other times we're working directly on and in and through the body. And if it's appropriate to their journey for them to learn something about a woman's body, we use my body. Um, because then I, I can intuitively say, oh, yeah, that's right, or no, this way, or whatever it is. I'm very clear with them that that's just my body and that they have to come to every woman's body as a unique experience. Um, but it gives them a good start, especially if they've not been with a woman before, which I, I see a lot of that. Um, so in terms of what happens, I try to broaden people's thinking around what sex is. So when someone says to me, oh, I wish I could have sex with you, and we've just been maybe doing some breathing that's been really ecstatic and we've been naked together, I'm like, well, is this sex? You know, I feel pretty turned on. Do you feel turned on? And so expanding people's ideas of what sex is. So when I'm feeling maybe protective and can't be bothered to have a conversation and someone says, do you have sex with your clients? I'd say no. When I feel a bit cheeky and um, can be bothered to have the conversation, I would say, well, define sex. What do you mean? Yeah, I kind of do, but maybe not in the way you think. Sex is. And what, what is that like, offering your body in your work for, with a client? What's that like for you? Most of the time, it's delightful. I feel like I'm absolutely serving my purpose. Like, I'm grateful to the point of tears in most sessions. It feels easy to do most of the time. It feels, it just feels natural. It feels like, you know how some people can just hear plants and make them grow? I, I just, it feels natural to be with someone in an intimate way, whether that's clothed or unclothed, whether there's sexual energy and arousal there or not, it still feels utterly like I'm in alignment with who I am. What does it mean to you to be sexual? Oh, great question. What does it mean to be sexual? I think it's a multi-layered answer. I think first and foremost, the first thing that comes to my mind is it means to be alive. It means life force energy, connection with everything, connection with the trees when you walk down the road. I have this belief, well, for me it's a knowing, that sexual energy is really how we're all connected. If you imagine like uh, the very thin, uh, like a spider's web, we're all connected, everything, the trees, the stars, the planets, us, the oceans, the rivers, everything, by these strands that are actually life force energy. We call them sexual energy, which I think almost is problematic because people hear the word sexual and they think that means fucking and actually sexual is many other things. So, you know, I think back in the day, like a bajillion years ago, we were so in tune with those uh, strands of energy that if we, for example, poisoned the water, we would feel it in our blood. Or if we cut down too many trees, we wouldn't be able to breathe. And we've become disconnected from our bodies. So for me, being sexual also means being fully present in my body. It means being aware of sensations. We talk about sight, smell, taste, all five senses. But I think there's about, I read somewhere, 60 senses. We have a sense of time. We have a sense of um, temperature. We have, you know, all these senses. And being sexual is starting to be in tune with all of that. Being sexual is how I allow myself to be intimate with people in my life in non-sexual ways, if that makes sense. For example, when I was doing my original Tantra training, we did some stuff around the inner child, and it changed my parenting. 
And for me, I was exploring my sexuality, but it made my parenting better. So for me, part of being sexual and owning my shame and fear and clearing stuff made me a better parent, made me a better person. Mm. So, so you talk about being sexual as a very broad, it's almost synonymous with just being alive or just having a body. But I'm wondering if for you also there is something particular about sexual energy that is different from other types of energy and that sometimes we feel it strongly, sometimes we don't. And, and you mean like actual sexy sexual energy? Uh, this is where possibly <laughs> language fails us, but there is, I wonder if you do have like a sense of a connection or a, a sense of an energy that you say, ah, this is sexual energy. While other energies, maybe you won't use the phrase sexual energy. It's a, it's a hard one because, you know, the, the society we've grown up in that we have now has put sexuality in a box that's separate from everything. You know, I, I put something on social media recently about um, using your sexual energy at work. And of course, I got a lot of flack for that. <laughs> and someone said, well, I'm not going to have sex at work. And I was like, that's not what I said. You know, sexual energy is creative energy. It's like when I, if I, so I create art just for fun and I do it consciously with a state of arousal, you know, it's like, because then I've got flow, I've got more flow. I mean, I can make it without being obviously aroused, but it's, it's juicier and shinier if I bring my arousal to it. It doesn't mean I want to have sex with the art, you know, or that I need to even have what people talk about sex with anyone. For me, the making of art is sex. And, and do you feel that that type of arousal to be switched on, turned on maybe is too loaded a word, but maybe switched on, maybe even that has different connotations, but that type of arousal of being on is just a matter of degree mm. to how it differs from the arousal that people feel before sex, or is it a different type of arousal? For me, it is the same. For me, it's the same, but there's layers of it. And there's, um, you said, um, you said degrees. Yeah. So I might be in my flow, making some art and feeling really aroused. It doesn't mean I'm ready for sex, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm still like a kind of high on my own sexual energy, as it were. And do you identify other energies that you could get high off of? Well, I don't know that I personally explore other energies as separate from sexuality. Mm. Yeah, I'm really checking in with myself to yeah, see, yeah, is that great. true? Like, am I being a bit pedantic or something here? But I, it feels true to me. So, so maybe a question kind of <laughs> leading on from this is, how do you experience being sexual? Mm. Sometimes I experience it on my own, doing the dishes, cooking dinner, you know, just doing the mundane things around the house. And what do you experience when you say sometimes I experience it? I, I guess I feel aroused. I feel turned on. I feel saucy, sassy, flirty. Um, you know, my body feels a bit tingly. I quite often will have on music that I'm dancing around to, like, you know, flirting with the air. <laughs> just like, yeah, dancing around, being alive, feeling my sassy self, as it were. Um, no matter what I'm doing. And in fact, if I have a mundane task I need to do that I really don't want to do, I will consciously, you know, bring out the erotic woman, the sexy, sassy part of me and say, come on, let's do it together because, you know, taxes are boring. So how do we make it interesting? Well, I'm going to be aroused while I do it. And, and, and in, in that moment, is there um, an imaginary or a fantasy audience? 
Um, not usually. Usually it's by me, for me. So the audience is you. Yeah. <laughs> and what do you see when you're experiencing that? So if you're the audience by, by yourself, for yourself, what is it that you witness? Mm. That's interesting because I'm not sure even that I'm witnessing it more as being, you know, I'm just being the expressor of it. But I do notice at times, I suppose, the witness going, oh, well done, you've remembered to be alive. You've, you've taken back your power here. You're not just going, oh, poor me, I have to do the washing up. You're like, I'm going to do the washing up and I'm going to put on some Cardi B and get, you know, move my hips and I'm going to enjoy it. And like now it's an ecstatic experience. And I can witness that I've made the change. I've made a conscious choice that, um, you know, I've taken my power back. <laughs> do you feel that expression of your sexuality, of your being, is directed at anything or anyone? In those moments, mm. no, that's just for me. Would you see it as an offering of something? Or is it just simply an expression? An expression isn't directed? I think most of the time it's just an expression. And sometimes it would be directed. Like sometimes I'll direct it into the food I'm cooking. Mm. Or, you know, into the water that I'm running my bath or something like that. So if I want to infuse something with that energy, then I will direct it. But if I'm just, say, cooking with it, I'm just kind of being the dancing flame that isn't trying to catch anything else on fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Do you have any rituals or practices that you consciously partake in to connect you with your sexuality or with your sexual energy? Yeah, I mean, I it's kind of almost always there. So I don't often need to go out and seek it because it's there but um, I do do some breathing techniques with it for example when I meditate um, I do a lot of different kinds of meditation I wrote a book about meditation coming out probably be out when this comes out um, and in it I talk about um, how you move sexual energy with your breath so you can move it up through your body you can direct it to organs so I'll check in with myself sometimes I just consciously switch it on for the day or check in, where is it today? You know, is there some part of my body that would benefit from me breathing it over there? Um, I guess that's kind of mostly what I do with myself. I do, I do a lot of sex magic with it, either with myself or my partner. We do a lot of, I guess, what's ritual and practices with it. Like, um, he and I aren't, you know, we don't just like run in from the house and, and bang each other. Like that's not what happens. It's very, like most of our sex is very um, coming into the moment and what's here right now and what do we both need and, you know, and how can, what can we dedicate it to? What magic can we do with it? Because we're going to raise all this energy. What are we going to do with that energy? Not always, but often. So I was thinking about that recently that I, Currently, our sex life has become very ritualistic, where it's almost always a ritual. It's almost always consciously using the energy for something. And do you find, uh, do, you, do you make this exploration through words? With my partner? Yes. Yeah, we start that way. We usually, we usually um, start by sitting or laying opposite each other and just looking into each other's eyes and breathing and seeing what arises. You know, sometimes... A feeling or an emotion or or a, a particular strand of ourself you know it could be um, a little child that has something to say or it could be a dominant 
part that wants to like hold you down or anything you know we're both kind of pretty multifaceted I think everyone's multifaceted but we play with that actively and so we but so we start with looking at each other and breathing and seeing what happens and then we start with well how are you feeling how are you feeling what do you need now what do you need now quite often um, we start with doing some clearing on each other in some way you know dust uh, that's one of my meditations dusting off the day you know getting like really coming into the moment what do we, you know what's really here now not just where we've been all afternoon or whatever and f we like candles before you know when we dedicate the candles to something i do one for me he does one for him and we do one for the two of us and and i'm curious to what extent do you feel words either connect you more or disconnect you from your embodiment and from your connection with that energy um words help i'm a real fan of communication um, I like words, I like um, clarity around what someone's feeling or wanting to do. And so I think for me, words are really sexy. I think, you know, sometimes there's a time, I don't know, maybe there's always time for words. You know, sometimes you want to be in your own reverie or whatever it is, but I'd still rather someone stop that and be clear about something. Um, I, I'm very fortunate um, that I like words. My partner is a wordsmith and is just amazing with words So and very good at communicating. And I think lack of communication you go up into your head and think well am i doing this right or what are they thinking or should we go that way or, or if you just say it that's hot you can stay embodied and speak well see that's the other thing is i would encourage people and i try to do myself is to speak from your body speak from your whole experience not just from your head and what would you say you have learned from your work about sexuality in general oh gosh uh, be a long list. I have learned that the world has fucked us over in terms of sexuality. I've learned that um, and the wounds run deep. You know, I think um, it runs very deep. It's historical, it's ancestral, and that we're living at a time now where we're starting to undo all of that. Thank goodness. When you say the world has fucked us over, what do you mean? Um, I like to believe that hundreds of thousands of years ago, we lived in a world where sex was normal, there was no shame or guilt or fear around it, where making love in your lounge while someone else was making tea was normal. I mean, we can't even imagine that now. But where, um, it, it wasn't even like, oh, I get to be sexual. It was just just normal. You know, it wasn't, um, there was no heightened emotion around it in any way. And I think that the powers that be at that time wanted more control. and you know, had a little conflab and said, well, how do we get more control? What's the most powerful energy humans have? Their most powerful energy besides love is their sexual energy. And their sexual energy is more powerful because there's a primal nature to it. So why don't we cut them off from that? That sexual energy, remember I was saying before about it connects us into the oceans and the stars and everything. It's like how we knew we were living in balance with everything. So if you cut that off, everything goes into dysfunction, imbalance, we get disconnected from ourselves. And how do you how do you cut people off from their sexuality? Shame. So what we've become now, I'm not gonna cry, is a world that everyone's retreated to the neck and up. We value the thinking analytical mind and we uh, shame and disvalue, I don't know if that's a word, everything from the neck down. We, we don't trust our hearts. We don't trust our gut instinct. I mean, science has found now we have a heart, uh, sorry, a brain in our heart and a brain in our gut. But are we taught to use those? No. 
We don't, we're not taught to value those. If someone says, I have a felt sense in my body that this is wrong, someone else will say, well, give me the facts. And it's like, I'm telling you the facts. The facts are, it feels wrong in my body. It feels wrong. But we don't trust feeling anymore. We trust, you know, facts that our brain can disseminate some information from. And I think that's totally fucked us over. You know, we do have gut instinct. We do have a feeling in our heart. But then we're made fun of if, if that's what we follow, you know. So I think... Um, that's how we've been fucked over. <laughs> so what would you say you have learned about men's sexuality from your work? Uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned that men are beautiful, amazing beings that get a really hard time in the world. They get a hard time because we've created a box that they're supposed to fit in. You know, we have these arbitrary ideas of this is what men are and this is what women are, and it's bullshit. You know, like, for example, you know, blue is men and pink is women. I think back in the 1800s, it was the other way around. Pink was a man color. It's just arbitrary. So I've learned that men don't fit into a box at all. There's no such thing as men think this and men do that and men are like that because they're all unique, gorgeous, amazing beings. Um, I've learned that men... You know, before I did this work, I thought that um, men weren't so vulnerable or, you know, they are very vulnerable and they're very big hearted and loving and amazing beings who, you know, I, I almost never draw a distinction between men and women anymore, which drives people crazy because um, all beings, all humans want to love and be loved we all have desire arise. We all want to have that love received. We, want, we all want to be sexy in some way. What I've learned with men is a lot of men try and play up to the alpha male thing that they were taught they were supposed to be. For some of them that works, for a lot of them it doesn't. And when they take ownership of, well, this is the kind of man I am, then their life blossoms. You know, I've learned that uh, men can experience pleasure in all sorts of ways that they don't know that they can. You know. It, we tend to have cock-centric, focused male pleasure ideas, and there's so much more to it than that. You know, your whole body is a, is a sexual possibility, and your mind and your emotions, like we were saying before. And for men, too. People think, oh, no, that's women need to be loved before they can have sex. No, men do, too. Men need to feel sick. People talk... I heard a lot about how men and women were when I was coming into this work, and what I found is everything that I heard that women were, so were men. Soft, loving, brave, courageous, um, vulnerable, um, everything. Powerful, disempowered, really just wanting to be loved and accepted as they are, whatever that is, and not having to fit into a box. What would you say you've learned from your work about just humans in general, beyond sexuality, so not just about sexuality? I, I'm lear you know, I learn about that every day still, even after all these years. And I've learned that we all mostly want the same things and we've all been conditioned that we're supposed to live a certain way. And that really the most important thing I think any of us can do is to become aware of what we've been taught and conditioned to think, believe, feel. And is it something we want to keep or not? And the more that we untangle ourselves from the stuff that isn't ours, the more humanity can evolve in a way that serves humanity. Mm. And what advice would you give others about sex or being sexual? Um, I think start with wh where you are. Don't try to be where someone else is. You know, if you, 
um, keep hearing about kinky things and you're really not kinky, don't go there. Um, there was a, a time in the Tantra world where a lot of people were um, saying that Tantra was the same as polyamory. No, it's not. You can be, you can fully explore Tantra and not be polyamorous. So be true to yourself, I think is the main thing and figure out what that means. And the more that you get to know yourself, get to know your dark and your light side and your shadows and your demons and love them, um, then you can make more conscious choices about how you express your sexuality, engage with your sexuality. Don't let other people's ways of being sexual um, drive you. Figure out what's right for you. Look after your boundaries. Be really strong with your boundaries. Get to know what they are. Explore them. Maybe even push them a little if that feels comfortable. But hold a good boundary. Be true to yourself. Um, engage your heart. Doesn't mean you have to be in love with the person you're having sex with, but just let your heart be there. Um, be as present as you can. Work on your stuff. And practice being aroused outside of the bedroom. Practice being intimate in other ways. Be intimate with your kids and with flowers and life. Um, all the things that you perceive that you want from a sexual relationship, see how else can I get them in my life? And, and, and with this kind of notion of engage your heart when it comes to your sexuality, what would you say to a lot of people who are sexual in a way that, for example, they might get off on anonymous sex or they might get off in a way that's, as you're saying, kinky, but not conscious kink, that it's just, and that is what does it for them. What would you say about something like that? I think the two go together beautifully. So I used to love anonymous sex, love it. Um, but I still have my heart open. You know, it didn't mean that I got to know that person very well or needed to know their background or anything, but my heart was open while I was there in that thing, because that's good for me. It didn't mean I was falling in love or, you know, trying to get into a relationship. It meant that my sexual energy could move up my body into my heart and open out to a bigger thing. And so it was for me. Because I think I also went through a phase where I would consciously close my heart because I didn't want that person to get too close or think I wanted anything from them. And then the sex wasn't as good, you know, because it was just kind of coming from the genitals, whereas I'd rather sex come from my whole body. And my heart is part of that. And with that, we've reached the end of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Rebecca's work, you can check out her website www.self-alchemy.com and you can reach her on rebecca at self-alchemy.com. She has also published a book called 101 Meditations for Life, Business and Bedroom Success, which you can get from Amazon. Finally, if you have any questions or comments, you can email me directly on thisripefruit at gmail.com and you can follow this podcast on Twitter at thisripefruit.